0: Come now to oral questions. First, in the name of Cameron Luxton. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. To the Associate Minister of Justice, Firearms. What
1: information, if any, has she seen concerning firearms seizures?
2: Mr. Speaker, data released by police under the Official Information Act has revealed that only 123. of the 6,571 firearms seized by police between January 2020 to November 2023 could be traced back to permits recorded on the Police National Intelligence application. The fact that the vast majority of seized firearms cannot be matched with a permit is deeply concerning and raises questions about the effectiveness of the firearms registry. These firearms, illegally held by gangs and criminals, will not be captured by the firearms registry. Yet, law abiding, licensed firearm
0: owners still have to bear the burden is, um, of additional regulation. Is a, excuse me. Actually, that was a very long answer. Uh, so i ask the Minister in future just to contain him slightly. Uh, Supplementary. Thank, thank you, Mr. Speaker.
1: Was there was any other data released that calls into question the effectiveness of the firearms registry?
2: Yes, 65% of firearms seized by police in 2023 and 62% of firearms seized in 2022 had no recorded serial number. This suggests that criminals are either using firearms that are either illegally imported, manufactured or intentionally stripped of serial numbers, making them untraceable. Mr Speaker, the firearms registry would be unable to capture these illegally held or manufactured firearms.
0: Supplementary, Mr Speaker. Uh, Cameron Luxon. Thank you, Mr Speaker. What other data has she seen?
2: Mr Speaker, 94% of people who were present at or subject to a search by police in which firearms were seized last year did not possess a firearms licence. The gangs and criminals are carrying and using firearms illegally and are circumventing the firearms registry. Licensed firearm owners are not the problem. That's why the government is committed to targeting firearms illegally held by the gangs.
0: Dr Duncan-Webb, will the minister bring an open mind to her review of the firearms registry or has she an utterly predetermined approach to the usefulness of it.
1: <laughs> Mr.
2: Speaker, the attention of the review is to be able to look at all data that is presented to those that are reviewing it that would be an open mind.
0: Cameron Luxon. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Why has this
3: Government committed to reviewing the Firearms Registry?
2: Mr Speaker, this Government has, in the Act and National Coalition Agreement, committed to reviewing the Firearms Registry starting before June 2024. The Registry needs to be evaluated to determine whether it is improving public safety in comparison to other options, such as targeting illegal manufacturer or imported firearms. We also need to determine if any changes to the registry could make it more effective in preventing firearms from falling into the hands of criminals. A comprehensive review will improve insights into the effectiveness of the current registry. I
0: appreciate that was a primary question to the Minister, but that that, uh, little more concise approach in the future would be very helpful to the House's uh, uh, fluid operation. Uh, Question number two, Tonya Unkovic.
4: Thank you, Mr Speaker. To the Associate Minister of Health, what are the Government's plans in relation to smoke-free 2025?
5: (laughs) Mr Speaker, the Government is committed to the smoke-free target of less than 5 per cent of people smoking daily by 2025. Our plan is to repeal the 2022 smoke-free amendments that have not yet taken effect namely reduce retailers, denicotisation, and prohibition to those born from 2009. We will also build on what currently works and is behind the recent dramatic decrease in smoking, and continue to work to prevent young people from starting smoking and vaping. In particular, we will work at education and cessation programmes, access to alternative products to aid quitting and control. And regulating access to related products. What's also important is that measures are targeted to individuals and communities that will benefit the most. Supplementary, Mr. Speaker. What particular challenges does the government need to address to achieve the smoke free target? Mr. Speaker. New Zealand has done very well in reducing smoking. As of mid-last year, we were down to 284,000 daily smokers from 573,000 10 years ago. Smoking is nowhere as prevalent as it was, and we're dealing with a much smaller group, which is great news. The problem is we're dealing with a remaining group of long-term smokers who are addicted to nicotine. So we need to approach that So we need an approach that focuses on them and understands their needs and helps them to quit. The progress we have made means there are clearly some current measures such as vaping that work, and I want to build on this and any other practical steps, such as other products used around the world and targeted programmes that will help people stop smoking. Supplementary, Mr Speaker. Are there considerations, other than health outcomes, that the Minister needs to consider. Mr Speaker, improving health outcomes is extremely important. However, all Government policies need to be able to work and they need to consider real world impacts. We can't just wish for good outcomes. That means we need to address the real problem we face. Which is that current smokers are addicted to nicotine and we need to help them to quit rather than moving to a prohibitionist regime. Prohibition. Cutting supply cutting supply doesn't equate to reducing demand, and the last government's planned approach was also going to have consequences for retailers, crime and the growth of the black market.
0: Uh, supplementary question, the Honourable Mark Mitchell. Sorry, you don't sit down until I call you. Do you want a sup or not? A <laughs> oh, pour of water.
3: Oh, pour of water. I thought, I thought the question was over, but um, I can wait till. I can't. Can't hear you. I thought the question. All. I thought the question was over, but if there's a sup, I can wait till after the sup. Oh, thank you, thank yeah. you.
0: Appreciate that, you. Dr. Ashok
6: Mr. Speaker, with respect to the member's proposals for other regulated products, are there any of those that would not? increase the availability of tobacco and the profits of tobacco companies among her proposals.
5: Mr Speaker, at this stage, there are no proposals and I'm seeking advice broadly on a range of issues. Uh, is this is a question... Uh, uh, Supplementary. Tuk
0: tuk? Supplementary. Sorry? Supplementary. Supplementary. Touch.
5: Does she accept the government's modelling that suggests Māori will not reach the 5% national target of smoking prevalence until 2061? Mr Speaker, no, we don't accept that modelling and it was based on numbers that are not currently reflected. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Supplementary, Hannah uh, Māori clark
7: Given that smoking is the leading cause of premature death in Aotearoa, what is her government strategy to rapidly address the inequity and accelerate smoking cessation among Māori to achieve nationwide targets?
5: Mr. Speaker, we're completely committed to targeted programmes rather than the blanket approach of the previous government and will focus on those groups with the greatest
0: need.
8: Supplementary
0: question. Supplementary question, right on, on Winston Peters. Is it the
8: Minister's position that behind this policy is the wisdom of not imposing $8.6 billion of taxation upon Māori since 2011 when it comes to cigarette smoking, or having people beaten up in supermarkets on a daily basis and ram raids and all sorts of illegalities, or the black market, but by following this policy, we have taken ourselves to number one in the world.
5: Mr Speaker, yes, I completely agree with the Deputy Prime Minister.
0: Mr Speaker. Point of order, the Honourable Mark Mitchell. Mr. Speaker,
3: I seek leave to make a personal statement to correct answers given during question time yesterday.
0: Is there any objection to that? Please go ahead.
3: In answer to supplementary question questions on Question eleven, I stated that the Government's policy was for the five hundred additional police to be delivered over the course of the term, which is three years. I should have been clearer. The Government's policy is to deliver 500 new police in the first two years of the term. I was reflecting the significant challenges that police face to drive that recruitment, but the Government is firmly committed to delivering on this target.
0: Uh, Mr Speaker, I would ask you
9: to uh, reflect on whether corrections of answers are uh, to Correct misinformation that is given to the House or to reflect a change of position taken by a minister. That was not an appropriate use of a correction of an answer.
0: That's quite right, but it was a correction of an answer. I was here for all those questions and uh, heard the answers given yesterday, and that's quite a different position. It's a different answer that's given. I don't think it's, it's, it's the correction. right place right now to discuss the, the concept the member is talking about, uh, but the Standing Orders Committee might be. Um, Question number three, Right
9: Honourable Christopher Hipkins. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My question is to the Prime Minister. Does he stand by all his statements and actions?
10: Uh, Yes, and in particular, given it's back to school week, uh, we actually stand by all of our actions, as I said yesterday, on education. Sadly, this has been the government, a uh, former government that left us with 55 per cent of our kids not going to school regularly. We want to call all parents to make sure they get their kids to school this week so we can teach them the yeah, basics. Yeah. An hour of maths reading and writing starting this year, mobile phones banned, and an expert panel reviewing
0: primary and intermediate school curriculum.
9: Supplementary. Yeah. How can Mark Mitchell have been confused yesterday? Don't,
0: don't, sorry, Don't speak while someone's asking a question, so please start again. How can sentence.
9: Mark Mitchell have been confused yesterday when he said on Monday realistically 500 new staff over the next three years is what we're aiming for? He said on Tuesday the government's policy is to deliver 500 additional offices over the term of this government, which is three years, and claimed previously that there had been a meeting in December of the three governing parties where they agreed to change the target from two years to three years. <laughs>
10: Uh, There is no ambiguity around the target. We're going to have 500 additional police in two
9: years, and the Minister clarified that in a statement just before. Supplementary. So was there a meeting in December amongst the three governing parties in which changing the target from two years to three years was discussed? No. (laughs) Supplementary question, uh, Mr Speaker. Does he stand by his answer yesterday that he's not aware of the Government requesting advice on freezing tobacco excise, given Casey Costello's answer to Question 9 yesterday that she had requested that advice?
8: Yeah. Uh, point of order. Uh,
9: uh, point, uh, point of order. Right on.
8: Mr Speaker, the that is deliberate misinformation by Mr Hipkins. That was clarified in points of order yesterday and he's back today, having ignored that, and seeking to assert a falsity a second time round.
9: I'd, I'd encourage you to go and review the Hansard of the answer that was given yesterday, where the minister did answer to the question, yes. The word yes was the very first part of her answer to the question that was asked
0: by my colleague, Dr. Verrill. Well, I will review it, and so we'll set it aside now. You have another supplementary?
9: No, no, I haven't had an answer to that one. Oh, can you well, the we question?
0: set it aside because I'm reviewing it. You can't Is have both like of those. Oh. <coughs> you
9: know, the was there Ask a question again. I'll ask the question again. Does he stand by his answer yesterday that he was not aware of the government requesting advice on freezing tobacco excise, given Casey Costello's answer to question nine yesterday that she had requested the advice? Yeah,
10: I was asked if the minister had sought advice. I answered that
9: I was not aware that she had, which was the case. Supplementary question. Does he stand by his statement that Casey Costello, quote, would have given a bunch of different party policy documents to her officials?
10: Uh, That is what I subsequently have understood since question time yesterday. Her office has clarified her approach, uh, and that's what I articulated this morning
9: in media. Supplementary question, can he assure this House that no person affiliated with the tobacco industry was involved in developing or writing those party policy documents that were given to officials?
0: He has no I'm not responsible for,
9: for other parties.
11: Minister. Oh, but you are! Point of order. point of boredom, no. Some Mr no. Speaker. Some question. Question.
0: Okay. Some Just to be, to be clear, that the, uh, the Prime Minister does not have responsibility in this House for party policy documents.
9: Mr Speaker, if if a Minister gives party policy documents to officials, then the Prime Minister is absolutely responsible to that. Documents given by Ministers to officials, they are effectively instructions from Ministers to their officials. The Prime Minister and Ministers are absolutely responsible for that.
0: In that context, uh, the Member is right. Point of order? No, it's it's a supplementary question. question.
8: Can the Prime Minister can sorry, wait upon wait it?
0: Wait on, wait on, wait on, sorry. Can you please resume your seat. So we're just getting a little bit mixed up, mixed up here. There has been a question answered. It's clarified that there is uh, uh, some aspect for the Prime Minister to answer. The question should be answered before we have further supplementary.
10: So I can they repeat the question? Yep,
0: third time.
9: Can he assure this House that no person affiliated with the tobacco industry? was involved in developing or writing those party policy documents.
10: I don't have responsibility for other party manifestos.
0: Point of order, order, Mr. Speaker. I've got your point of order. I think the the difficulty here is that if the party documents have been provided to officials to help formulate policy from this point, uh, then there is a ministerial responsibility. (laughs) Uh, 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 Point of order. 're we're,
3: we're, we're into, we're into we're into some difficulty here. We are, we are getting into difficulty here Mr. Speaker because although Mr. Hipkins is of course completely correct that documents that are given documents that are given to officials on behalf of the government are the responsibility uh, of ministers. The creation of documents in a political party sense are by is not the responsibility of the Prime minister. in particular, uh, he even in his capacity as leader of the national party, uh, they are, he is not responsible for those if it related to three, a three-party government. So we are into we are getting into difficulty here, and there's also the issue of awareness uh, of all of that as well. So how on earth would the prime minister be able to comment with any with any degree of veracity around that?
0: Well, well uh, I just want to sp- uh, I just want to uh, make a comment here. Firstly, I don't think we are getting into difficulty. So the question is, if a party document is provided to uh, officials. Is it part of the official record? Effectively, the answer is yes. If there is uh, a question about uh, a minister's knowledge of how that uh, document got formulated, and that is the basis of the question today, that is a question that can be relatively easily answered. And the, minister, the, the member, Speaker's the member on. actually, his, well, the member order. at his own at his own point of order made that point. point order, Speaker. Mr. Speaker, what's going on here? Hang on. Just a minute. I
8: haven't dealt with this. See is he still... Okay? OK. Point of order. Sorry. Well, not, well, this will be helpful, Mr Speaker. Yeah. The reality is, there's an allegation being made here with no evidence whatsoever, the Electoral Act requires, as we all know, parties to submit a full record, open in front of the public and under the law, of where they got their party funding. That information is available to that, to that member over there. Yes, he does. But no, he prefers to make these insinuations without a bare fact to back them up. No,
0: uh, the, the the point, though, is that the Prime Minister is being asked if he knows the full source of a policy document that was provided by another party. That is the question. And that's a relatively easy answer. Yeah.
10: As Prime Minister, I'm unaware of what ministers are actually asking their officials for advice.
9: A question, Mr. Speaker. Is it his position as prime minister that ministers should be presenting to officials party policy documents and giving them, to, giving them those documents as instructions for further advice to be prepared?
10: I think it's fantastic. As we have a minister, associate minister with delegation for reducing smoking, she's incredibly focused on that goal and she's asked her officials for a range of activi-
9: a range of advice to actually lower smoking in New Zealand. That's a good thing. Point of point of order, Mr. Speaker. Point of order. The Prime Minister hasn't addressed what is actually a very significant question. Generally, when Ministers give party policy documents to officials, it is an instruction for the officials to therefore implement that. I've asked him whether Ministers in his Government are giving party policy documents to officials and whether he is comfortable with that approach.
0: Well, There is a coalition agreement which is publicly available for people to see what the transfer of policy is. The Prime Minister may like to answer. We campaign on a
9: set of policies. It's right that officials would have those manifestos. Is New Zealand First's policy on tobacco now the government's policy? No. So why would New Zealand First's party policy document have been presented to officials as government instruction?
10: It's not what I said. It's not unreasonable that officials should actually see party political manifestos in consideration as they think about dreaming up policy advice that actually lowers smoking.
0: Does
8: the Prime Minister not find it extraordinary that the opposition that's raising in the House after this issue nevertheless supported the very same party writing sound policy in 2018-19, which led to the biggest drop in the whole world of cigarette smoking?
10: That's the fact, isn't it? I think, I think we're incredibly proud of the lowering of smoking rates. It's gone from 167 down to 86 to 6.8% in the space of the last decade.
0: Go away. Right, well, we'll just let the smoke clear and we'll have the Right Honourable James Shaw. Oh, Honourable James Shaw. Yes, thank you, Mr Speaker.
12: Uh, to the Prime Minister, does he stand by all of his Government's statements and actions? Uh, yes, in the context they were given. <clears throat> Does he stand by his joint statement with the Prime Ministers of Australia and Canada in relation to Gaza made on the 13th of December 2023 that he supports, quote, urgent international efforts towards a sustainable ceasefire, end quote, and if so, what specific actions has his government taken since that
10: date to secure a sustainable ceasefire? Um, We have joined with many companies calling for a sustainable ceasefire and will continue to do so. Um, is he aware that under Article 1
12: of the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, New Zealand has an
10: obligation to take action to prevent genocide before it occurs? Um, I, I'm not sure the point of the question that the Member's trying to ask will get to. Are
1: you
11: aware, no. of
10: it Are you aware? Point of order, Mr Speaker. Uh,
12: to assist the Prime Minister, um, the point of the question was to ask if he was aware of our... Um,
10: Uh, uh, Article 1 of the convention. Personally not aware, but if you'd like to direct a specific question to the relevant minister, I'm sure we could help.
12: What actions uh, is the government taking uh, to meet its obligations under Article 1 of the Genocide Convention in light of the recent ruling by the International Court of Justice that found a plausible risk of genocide against Palestinians
10: in Gaza? It was a provisional finding, and there wasn't. A, it wasn't. It wasn't a plausible risk.
8: Yes, it was. It was. It was. <laughs> uh,
12: is the prime minister aware that the ICJ did find that there was a plausible risk of genocide, which would? But that's not the proof. Which the proof. would? Plausible.
0: Which? Excuse me. Go read it. Excuse Please. me. Please have a read. When a question is being asked, the house is silent. Start again.
12: Uh, Is he aware that the ICJ did find that there is a plausible risk of genocide against Palestinians in Gaza and that. Mr. Bishop. And that that would trigger New Zealand's obligations under Article 1 of the Convention
10: to take action to prevent genocide before it occurs? Mm -hmm. Uh, The court did not make any findings that Israel has actually engaged in genocidal conduct. (laughs) Supplementary. Supplementary,
12: James Shaw. Uh, is the uh, Prime Minister aware that th- there is a difference uh, between having found whether genocide has taken place or whether there is a plausible risk mm-hmm. of, taking ge- uh, of genocide taking place? And that Article 1 of the Convention requires New Zealand to take action to prevent genocide before it
10: occurs, mm-hmm. i.e., when there is a plausible risk. As I said earlier, the court did not make any findings that Israel is actually engaged in genocidal conduct. That is going to be the case. That is, that is part of a full and substantial hearing that will take place in subsequent months and years. Supplementary. Uh, the
0: Honourable David Seymour.
10: Does the Prime Minister believe that the casual, lazy misuse of a word as important as genocide
0: is not only incorrect, sorry, just, sorry, but offensive to those victims we'll of ac- the act. The next person who speaks while someone uh, is uh, uh, asking a question uh, will be in a little bit of trouble. So, Hon. David Seymour.
10: Does the Prime Minister believe that the casual, lazy misuse of the word genocide is not only incorrect but highly offensive to those many people who tragically throughout history were victims of actual genocide. Right uh,
0: point of order, to, uh, uh, the Honourable Grant uh,
9: Mr Speaker, I know you've adopted uh, the, the, the flow approach for questions and answers, but that was a good example, I think, of the standing order that... Uh, Prevents or purports to prevent members from using epithets and 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 words in their questions that are likely to lead to disorder, and I think I just you know there must be a there must be a line somewhere around where those words are going to fuel disorder, Mr. Speaker, because if any words can be used in a question, then there will be regular bouts of disorder in the
0: house. Speaking of the point of order, Hon. Chris Bishop. Questions are required to be
12: factual, and that was.
0: That's true, except that the uh, lead-in to that question, I'm sure, is what uh, the Hon. Grant Robertson was talking about. So what we might do is have the question again without all the epithets on the, the, uh, the front of it. Supplementary. Does the Prime Minister believe it is important to use
10: a word as heavy as genocide accurately and only when fully justified by the facts in order to respect those many victims throughout history who tragically have suffered from
0: actual genocide. That that is not helpful, who was calling out that, I didn't see who it was. Well, Can I ask you Mr Abel to please just contain yourself while people are asking a question. Sometimes we don't like the questions. Quite often, we don't like the questions. Just about every day so far, I haven't liked a lot of questions, but but you've got to just uh, let people have their say. Prime Minister.
10: Um, I'm not sure which question I'm actually answering. It's about, uh,
0: it's the the David Seymour question, which we've had twice, we really don't want a third time. No, no,
10: I get it. Look, look, the issue here is there's been provisional measures that have been announced in the provisional uh, ruling of the ICJ, uh, and there's a further case that's continuing uh, on. And why can I respond to the
0: provisional measures?
5: Order, Mr. Speaker.
0: Point
5: of order, Mr. Speaker. Point
0: of order, Honourable Mariba Davidson.
5: Just checking with that question uh, the claim from South Africa is specifically related to preventing the crime of genocide. So, putting it clear that that is not a casual misuse of language. The claim is to prevent the crime of genocide. That can be taken before the threshold is met. It's about saying don't do genocide.
0: Yeah, look, um, debating a matter is not something— a point of order shouldn't be a place for a debate on issues like that. We move now to question number five in the name of Stuart Smith.
1: Oh, thank you, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Minister of Finance. What recent reports has she seen on business confidence?
13: Mr Speaker, earlier this month, NZIER released its latest quarterly survey of business opinion. This survey showed a sharp pickup in business confidence in the final quarter of 2023. NZIER says that while a net 10% of firms are expecting a worsening in general economic conditions over the coming months, this is a significant decrease from a net 49% in the previous quarter and a net 79% a year ago.
1: Supplementary. What sorts of areas are firms feeling more confident in?
13: Mr Speaker, the survey shows that firms are feeling positive about hiring and positive about investing in plant and machinery. The report says that, quote, with a new government formed in late November 2023, it appears that firms are now looking to invest. What is
1: Treasury's outlook for the economy?
13: Mr Speaker, I'm advised that the economy is at or near the bottom of the economic cycle and the outlook is for a slow and relatively subdued recovery, at least initially. In the half-year economic and fiscal update, Treasury forecast real GDP growth of 1.5% in the year to June 2024 and again in the year to June 2025. However, That is lower than expected population growth, so Treasury expects per person, per capita GDP, to decline in each of these years. The unemployment rate is also expected to rise to around 5% before beginning to fall again. Inflation will continue to fall, and as the NZIER survey shows, business confidence is increasing off a very low base.
1: Stuart Smith. What is the Government doing to help um, build and improve the business environment?
13: Mr Speaker, the Government's 100-day plan contains a number of measures to improve the business environment. For example, the Government introduced legislation last year, which the House passed, to restore 90-day trial periods for all businesses. This provides much-needed flexibility in the workplace that benefits both workers and employers. The Government also introduced legislation, again which this House passed, to end Labour's workplace bargaining regime. That would have forced the views of some union workers on all workers and all businesses in an industry. No wonder business confidence has risen.
0: Question number six, in the name of uh, Honourable Carmel Cepoloni. Mr.
4: Speaker, uh, to the Minister for Social Development, does she stand by her decisions to index benefits to, in, uh, to inflation? Mr. Speaker, does she agree with her statement, quote, main benefits will be higher next year than they would have been if we had retained the current index to wage growth, end quote? And will she make the commitment to beneficiaries that they will be better off under her decision to index main benefits to inflation?
14: Mr. Speaker. Uh, Beneficiaries will be better off under our government because we will be dealing with the cost of living crisis. We will be growing the economy to support more job opportunities as well as improving health and education. Mr Speaker, how can she say
4: beneficiaries will be better off? When Treasury is forecasting annual wage growth to be 5.1% in June 2025, compared with the forecasted 2.5% rate of inflation in June 2025, where wage growth clearly outstrips inflation.
14: Mr Speaker, forecasts are exactly that. Uh, We will make decisions based on good data, uh, and we have made a commitment ahead of the election that we will index increases to benefits to inflation. That protects the real purchasing power of those on welfare.
4: Mr Speaker, what advice has she received on the child poverty implications for reversing the indexation of benefits from wages to inflation. Uh, and What is that advice?
14: Mr Speaker, I have received a a large amount of advice around uh, child poverty reduction, uh, including the need to reduce the number of children in benefit-dependent households and how we make sure that they are better off.
4: (laughs) Mr Speaker, does she think snatching money away from the most vulnerable New Zealanders to pay for tax cuts is morally acceptable?
14: Uh, Mr Speaker, um, that member is incorrect. Um, what this Government is doing is providing certainty for all of those on welfare um, that benefit increases to inflation, which is the same way it's been done for 31 out of the last 35 years, will protect their purchasing power, which is absolutely critical in a cost-of-living crisis that that member contributed to.
0: Come now to question number seven, the name of uh, Dr Hamish Campbell. Mr. So speaker, my question is to the Minister for Social
1: Development and Employment: What reports and forecasts, if any, has she seen on the number of people receiving Job Seeker Support Benefit?
14: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. There are now nearly 190,000 New Zealanders on the Job Seeker Benefit, meaning almost 90,000 more compared to September 2017. This includes an increase of 20,000 in the last year alone. The fact that job seeker benefit numbers consistently increase during prolonged periods of widespread labour shortages means the welfare system has not done enough to shift people into work. Benefit dependency is a major challenge our government must and will tackle, as these figures show. We will help people move from welfare into work so people have more opportunities.
1: What reports has the Minister seen on the number of eighteen to twenty-four year olds on the job seeker benefit and why is the coalition government strongly focused on supporting young people into work?
14: Mr Speaker, there are now forty thousand people aged eighteen to twenty four on the job seeker benefit. This represents an increase of sixteen thousand people or sixty six percent increase compared to six years ago. This is important because the earlier someone moves on to benefit, the greater the risk they become dependent on welfare. Young people under the age of 25 on welfare are estimated on average to spend 21.3 years on benefit. By acting sooner to help at risk young adults, Mr Speaker, we will break vicious benefit dependency cycles. That's
1: right. What reports has the Minister seen on the number of children growing up in benefit households and what are the implications of this data?
14: Mr Speaker, there are now 222,000 children growing up in benefit-dependent households, an increase of 44,000 compared to six years ago. Benefit dependency affects not only those who are trapped on benefits, but also their children, whose outcomes are worse when they grow up in benefit-dependent households we owe it to both adults and children to do more to improve their prospects
1: Supplementary. what forecast has the minister seen about the number of people on the job seeker benefit if we continue the same welfare approach to welfare
14: mr speaker concerningly forecasts predict that by january 2025 there will be 198500 people on the job seeker benefit the current welfare system settings are not helping New Zealanders to reap the opportunities and rewards that work provides. Even though we have a challenging economic environment, we are not content to stand by and allow New Zealanders to languish on welfare and watch their potential be wasted.
1: Will the Coalition Government aim to reduce the number of people on the job benefit, and if so, why? Great.
14: Mr Speaker, of course, yes. The Coalition Government believes a job is the best way out of independence, best path to independence and greater opportunities. So we will be working hard to help people into work. We will be making changes to the welfare system to enable New Zealanders to reap reap the opportunities
6: and rewards that work bring.
0: Thank you. Come now to question number eight, in the name of Dr. Asha
6: Thank you, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Associate Minister of Health and reads, Uh, Does she stand by all her statements and actions?
5: Mr Speaker, yes, in particular those that relate to my absolute commitment to the smoke-free 2025 targets and to providing practical, targeted help so that smokers who are addicted to nicotine can stop.
6: Practical. Supplementary, why did she say in the House yesterday that her comments to media were, quote, truthful at the time, end quote, because, quote, being offered something and asking for something are two separate matters." End quote. When the document she signed on December 20 shows that she both initiated the advice and accepted the offer to provide that advice by circling an option for further advice on freezing tobacco excise tax.
5: Mr Speaker I apologise if this answer is a a long worded answer but it is an answer around process so I think it's important to clarify what actually happened. When I received this delegation I provided a range of information to officials including things like Hansard records and previous um, policy positions around smoke free and vaping to help guide conversations. The health paper came back setting out a number of areas on which I could be provided advice and I marked I wanted advice on all of them as I consider it important to be broadly informed before making decisions. That health briefing referred to proposals and notes. They were not my proposals, to be clear. They were not things I had written. This was general information I had provided to officials and I'm sure they can verify this. I haven't yet received any of that advice, and I certainly did not specifically request a proposal on excise freeze.
11: Words Supplementary? Words
6: Why did the Minister say yesterday that the truthfulness of her statement rested on a distinction between, between being offered and asking for advice when the evidence shows she did both?
5: Does not Mr. Speaker, I think I've answered the question. No, oh,
6: Does she agree with the Prime Minister who Radio New Zealand reported as having said yesterday that the government will not be pausing increases to tobacco excise tax?
0: Of
5: course, I agree with the Prime Minister, and um, it is advice that we are considering. And when we receive that advice, we will make informed decisions.
6: So, when the, can the Minister clarify is the Prime Minister correct that there will be that the government will not be pausing increases to tobacco excise tax, or is she still considering advice on that matter? The Prime Minister has ruled out.
5: I think I've answered the question, Mr Speaker, but I am committed to receiving broad advice and we will make recommendations on the best options. We will make advice on the best options to enable people to quit smoking.
0: Thank you. We come now to... <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, uh, taku to... Uh, taku to... Taku to Does she agree
10: that dropping cancer screening for Māori by 10 years is an equitable approach to address the inequity that exists for Māori with cancer? If not, what is her government proposing to address this inequity that Māori have faced for decades?
5: Mr Speaker, I am absolutely committed, which is the reason we do not want a broad brush approach. We want targeted campaigns that will enable the most marginalised and most vulnerable to quit smoking.
0: Yeah, yeah. Question number nine in the name of Dana Kirkpatrick.
4: Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Minister of Police. What recent reports has he seen on gang convoys?
0: Mr Speaker,
3: I was pleased to see police's proactive enforcement response to a gang convoy through Whakatane last year, which included a response by the Eagle helicopter to ensure that the rights of law-abiding citizens to move about their towns freely are protected over and above the rights of gang members who choose to block roads, intimidate people and break the law. Police arrested 15 people, of which 14 were associates or patch gang members. I'm proud of the great work that our police do every day to clamp down on activity that puts the public at risk, and while there is warm, more work to be done, the public can expect to see more of this proactive and positive enforcement action.
4: Supplementary question. How do the reports that he's seen contrast with, contrast with earlier reports of gang convoys? Jenny.
3: The people of the Eastern Bay do not need long memories to remember the appalling scenes in Apodiki earlier last year. The town of Apodiki was taken over for several days, during which images of patched gang members yeah, yeah. rolling through the town, flagrantly breaking laws, closing down roads and preventing law-abiding members of the public going about their daily business were broadcast across the country. It, At that time schools were closed and the public felt extremely unsafe. Having visited shortly afterward, that was reflected very clear to me by the locals there and I am proud that already these people who did feel unsafe have been able to see such a marked change in response from police in terms of an increased gang presence in Whakatane.
4: Supplementary question. Uh, What feedback has he had from locals about police's approach to the gang convoys?
3: Well, the outstanding local MP has been very proactive (laughs) in reflecting to me the positive feedback that she has had from her community when it comes to the recent convoy in Whakatane. In addition, I have continued to receive positive feedback in relation to the change in approach that started with the convoy through to Foxton late last year. I am proud to be the Minister of Police in a Government that takes public safety seriously and that the public can already see is making a difference. That is after six years of gang members operating with a sense of impunity.
4: What further work is underway to ensure that law-abiding citizens have their right to freedom of movement protected over gangs?
3: As part of the gang's 100 day, uh, government's 100-day plan, <laughs> work is underway on banning gang patches and insignia in public as well as dispersal notice and consorting prohibition notices. These new tool- tools will enhance police's ability to break up large gang gatherings and convoys and will go a long way to sending the very clear message that our police are in control, not the gangs. This is a government that takes public safety seriously and will work hard to continue to improve that. After six years of chaos, we know this is a big task,
0: but we are determined to do it. Come now to question number 10, the name of the Honourable Jenny Anderson.
15: Thank you Mr Speaker. My question is to the Minister of Police. Does he stand by all his statements and actions? Yes. Does he agree with the Prime Minister? And so there were conversations last night, as you expect after Mark's remarks, and we spoke with Mark last night, but that's our commitment. If so, who spoke with him? Yes. Is it correct that, as reported by Newsroom, a meeting was held between coalition parties in December last year and it was agreed to change the delivery of 500 more police over two years to three years? No. Is the Deputy Prime Minister correct that a meeting held last night between the National Party's Chief of Staff and the New Zealand First Chief of Staff and at that meeting it was agreed that the Government would return to delivering 500 more police in two years? Well,
8: point of order, on Woods. Mr Speaker, I know where this question is going. It's based on an interview I just did on the way over and that's not what I said. I said I wasn't at the meeting. Um. <laughs> yeah, hang on. Oh, I know where
0: she's going. Yeah. 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 Speaker. Okay, well, just one at a time. So, uh, is that the end of that? Right. Thank you. I'm sure that the member has taken that uh, statement to the House effectively on board. Uh, Honourable James Shaw. Uh,
12: to the point of order, um, Mr. Speaker, uh, that was uh, one of a series of. Um, points of order that have been raised by uh, the Deputy to... Prime Minister that have nothing to do with points of order or standing orders, um, and I, I was just uh, I would ask if we could constrain points of order to um, points of order as relates to the standing orders as opposed to debating points.
0: Well, I thank you very much for the advice to the Chair. Um, I'll take it on board. Jenny Anderson.
15: Can I ask the question again? Big Well, I didn't get an answer to the question.
0: Uh, you start the question again because it was interrupted.
15: I, and I'm just speaking to the point of order that— um, Well, the, are
0: you speaking to the point of order well, or not?
15: I'll just say the question again. Is the Deputy Prime Minister correct that a meeting was held last night between the National Party's Chief of Staff and New Zealand First's Chief of Staff, and at that meeting it was agreed that the Government would return to delivering 500 more police within two years?
3: Well, I've got no knowledge you'd, you'd have to ask the uh, Deputy Prime Minister.
15: Does, does he agree with the Prime Minister that Mark could have expressed himself better, and if so, is the reason he's struggling to express himself because a 6.5 per cent cut to the police front line is unexplainable? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I, I agree with what the Prime Minister said, so yes to the first part, no to
0: the second. Now that's it. The is all over. So we go to question number 11 in the name of Lan Pham. Well... Sorry. Excuse me. Question number eleven, Lan Pham. Thank you. Listen, don't 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 push it. It gets very difficult when a senior member like that puts me in a terrible position. Number eleven. Lan Pham.
7: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My question is to the Minister for the Environment. Is she concerned about how many rivers, lakes and beaches across the country? were too polluted to swim in or gather food from over the summer. Mr.
16: Speaker.
0: Uh, Hon. Penny Simmons.
16: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yes, I am concerned, Mr. Speaker, including the fact that more than 20 beaches in Auckland in December were unswimmable because of human sewerage, which reinforces that polluted rivers, lakes and beaches are an issue to be addressed by all New Zealanders, both rural and urban. There are of course different causes of pollution that range from land use, wild animals and human waste from infrastructure failures. Pollution occurs in both urban and rural areas, but the evidence does show that urban water bodies are the poorest in the poorest state. It is deeply disappointing that six years of the previous government, Labor Greens, did not address this, but we are determined to get this right. This government is committed to improving freshwater quality for the benefit of all. And to do this, we need sensible and pragmatic environmental rules, Mr. Speaker. I'm also very pleased to tell you that the beach in Riverton, Southland, the Riviera of the South, was outstanding all summer.
0: Good. Well, can we just keep those primary answers just a little more concise uh, in the future? Thank you.
7: Supplementary. Has she read the open letter last month from 51 freshwater experts and leaders? that state, quote, New Zealand's rivers, lakes and aquifers are in a dire state, and, quote, if you proceed with your proposals to undo the country's freshwater policy, they will only get worse.
16: Mr Speaker, yes indeed, I have uh, read that letter from 50 plus freshwater scientists and experts and I acknowledge the members' own expertise in this area. There will always be a range of interests and views from academics, from scientists, from commercial and recreation users and from e Supplementary.
7: Why, then, did the Government delay freshwater improvements already in progress by pushing out the deadline for Regional Council plans to 2027?
16: Mr Speaker, the Government considers that there needs to be a rebalance of Tamana Mana and a rewriting of the National Policy Statement for Freshwater Management to ensure that it is fit for purpose and that it achieves genuine outcomes. Supplementary.
7: Does the Minister agree that progressing and upholding te mana o te wai would help achieve those outcomes?
16: Te mana o te wai is not in consideration. It is the hierarchy of the obligations that we consider needs to be relooked at and rebalanced. Supplementary.
7: Yep. What assurances, if any, can she provide to no, Kiwis? Sorry, just
0: wait a minute. Both sides. A lot of talking while someone's trying to answer a question. The one thing that I will be quite strict on. Today is the most liberal day we're going to have in this regard. Please, uh, Lion Farm, if you would ask your question. Thank you,
7: Mr. Speaker. What assurances, if any, can she provide to Kiwis that their local waterway will be safe to swim in when 45% of the total river length in Aotearoa is currently unswimmable, according to MFE?
16: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Mr Speaker, we agree that the past six years have not addressed this sufficiently. The the Government is committed to replacing the National Policy Statement for Fresh Water. We are committed to improving the quality of fresh water. Supplementary.
7: Will she commit to ensuring that any changes to freshwater regulations are informed by scientific evidence on the health
16: of New Zealand's waterways. Uh, I can assure the member, Mr Speaker, that we will be consulting widely. We will be consulting with academics, with scientists, with EWE, with commercial and recreational users. So we will consult widely and take a balanced approach to ensure that we come up with workable solutions.
0: Question number 12, in the name of, the, of Tim van der Molen.
9: Thank you, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Minister for Trade. What steps is he undertaking to progress the New Zealand-European Union Free
11: Trade Agreement? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mr Speaker, thank you. Today the Coalition Government will uh, have with the House the first reading of the implementation legislation to start the process to quickly uh, implement the New Zealand-EU FTA. Uh, We will progress quickly with the implementation of this bill so that New Zealand exporters can take advantage of its benefits as soon as possible. You see, Mr Speaker, the European Union has already completed its part of the ratification process before New Zealand. New Zealand exporters are waiting on the New Zealand Parliament to complete the process so that the agreement can enter into force. This coalition government is moving quickly so that exporters, particularly in provincial New Zealand, can benefit from tariff reductions of up to $100 million, something that could have been done last year if the last government had introduced the bill and got it through uh, before the election. Banner,
9: Why is this deal so important to New Zealand exporters?
11: <laughs> well, Mr. Speaker, until now, uh, many New Zealand uh, products have been effectively locked out of the EU market due to high tariffs and restrictive quotas. For instance, duties on manuka honey production uh, will reduce by by 17.3% to zero. The kiwi fruit growers benefit from tariff savings of $37 million on entry into force. And the FTA finally levels a playing field for Kiwi businesses exporting to the EU where many of their key competitors already have competitive uh, access. Mr Speaker, these uh, savings uh, would have benefited uh, New Zealand Exporters had the last government introduced legislation and got it through before the last election. Is there another sub? Yes. What
9: else does the FTA deliver for New Zealand exporters?
11: Well, when fully implemented, the FTA is set to provide an annual boost to our GDP of up to $1.4 billion and to our, of, to our exports to the EU by up to $1.8 billion each year. For the first day of entry into force, 91% of New Zealand's current goods trade into the EU are duty-free, increasing to 97%. Unfortunately, Mr Speaker, the commercially meaningful gains that the dairy and red meat sector expected by our farmers were not delivered in this deal. Access will not be fully liberalised for these products, but quotas do create some additional market access on improvement of, of status quo. Overall, the FDA creates jobs and grows wealth for all New Zealanders, which is why we want to get it into force as quickly as possible. Supplementary, the
8: Honourable Damien O'Connor. Thank you. Um, When does the Minister expect to sign the free trade agreement with India?
11: Well, Mr Speaker, uh, long before that minister would have when he was in government, because the Labor Party said it wasn't a priority, a deal wasn't being done. I would say, however, there is great interest across New Zealand, of all New Zealanders, that a government without would be looking it out on the world stage. Uh, and I know that that member is very keen to join the uh, rest of his colleagues who have left the parliament on the world stage soon. <laughs> Supplementary. Mr.
9: What are some of the specific benefits of this deal for the agricultural sector?
11: Well, Mr Speaker, a number of key agricultural products will benefit from significant tariff savings from day one of the agreement. 99.9% of New Zealand's current horticultural trade will enter the EU tariff-free at the entry into force, a-, a tariff saving of $46 million for our growers. Tariffs will be eliminated immediately on kiwi fruit, onions, apples and other hort products. 99.5% of New Zealand's current fish and seafood trade will enter the EU tariff-free from day one, which is why the Coalition Government wants to so urgently get this agreement into force. Uh, this is a Government of action, not talk. A Point of order, the Right Honourable
0: Chris Hopkins. I
9: seek leave for Government Orders of the Day 1 and 2 to proceed immediately to vote on third reading with no debate immediately following question time.
0: Leave is sought. any objection to that? That brings... That brings uh, oral questions to uh, conclusion.